about them Irish. I can't take it anymore. I need a national championship. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. It was a victorious Saturday for the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame, a huge victory over the Wisconsin Badgers. On top of that, two-thirds of the Four Horsemen podcast are now married. You could say it's just been a win-win-win all month, Uh, but before we get into it, I'm going to kick it over to my co-host, Mr. Married Steve, to give a word from our sponsor. Uh, Yes, indeed. And now that I am married, next step up is kids. And when you have kids, everything costs money. And how do you make more money? By getting a better job and making your money work for you. That's what we are doing with Dwindle. Uh, Dwindle is the first job board aimed at helping to solve student loan debt crisis. Uh, Job seekers can sign up for free, get a free resume critique, then start applying to jobs that provide student loan repayment benefits. If you don't have any student loans and you're just looking for an affordable education, Dwindle also helps connect you with jobs that that provide tuition assistance and tuition reimbursement. Check them out today at DwindleStudentDebt.com. That's Dwindle, D-W-I-N-D-L-E, StudentDebt.com, and let them know that the Four Horsemen sent you. Well, what can we say, Steve? That's got to be one of if not the most satisfying victories I think we've had in a while. Uh, I agree in a lot of ways. I also disagree in a lot of ways. Um, and and that, that obviously comes at the offensive woes. And some of that was, uh, you know, you know, Jack Cohn getting injured and, and, you know, but honestly the, the, the offense was functional. It was equally as functional with, with Cohn out uh, than when he was in. And I don't know if that's caused for, Concern that you know the first you know the, the top tier offense you know the, the starting offense uh, as it stands um, you know is performing at a equal le- level to a backup or maybe it's the backups playing at an equal level to a starter right and and we clearly have have issues on offense right now and we're going to diagnose those we're going to walk through it um, so in in the offensive side of the field it it just uh, I, there's plenty to be satisfied and excited about. And we'll break that down. But simultaneously, we know we are capable of of significantly more. And and right now, it's just not coming to fruition. And I don't think that it's going to bite us in the ass currently uh, in terms of the offensive woes. I I think that we have enough mojo to to get us through this season at, you know, a 10 plus win clip. I'm still hopeful of, of of 12 plus wins. But dang, man, um. So the the offense is is kind of just a bummer. However, the defense and special teams was outrageous. They were phenomenal. They were absolutely incredible. Like uh, that's that that was probably the most fun I've ever had on the de- defensive side of the ball watching a Notre Dame football game. It was you know the last five minutes of that of that game were an absolute party, right? It was pretty much in the bag, and then it was just like one after another of just sealing it, signed, sealed, delivered. Like we're good. So. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's my initial statement. <laughs> if, if I'm able to get the press release out, thank you everyone for listening back again to my ugly, uh, nasally voice after I came back from my, my wedding last week. So Dylan, your thoughts on the game, the whole nine, let's, let's hear them. Yeah. What I think was so satisfying about it, um, was just being the underdog and being that six and a half point, you know, underdog to, to, to win that game. Uh, the way it ended, the fact that Rocket Ishmael was on Fox pregame and then <laughs> Chris Tyree kind of does an homage to him with the kick return. Yeah, uh, it's it's the overrated chance that were hilariously silenced by the end of the the end of the game. It was just a satisfying victory to on national stage to to prove that we are still once again in a, in a tier above everybody. Um, and. You know, we were talking for weeks now how, you know, the defense was so close to getting it all right. There was just something here or there. 
you know, missed tackle, gelling, you know, whether it be approach. There was just something that needed to click, and it did, right? The offense did what the offense did, but the defense won the game. They they held the Wisconsin team to one under 100 yards, which I don't know how frequently that happens because Wisconsin is a power-run football team. They For live sure. and die by it. So to do that after coming off of, you know, Florida State and Toledo, and even Purdue, we gave up a lot of running yards. It shows that when we want to be, we can shut down the run, like we did against Etienne, of course, last year. And I like that, because what that means is, if Notre Dame identifies as your run game is the only thing that could beat them, they can and will stop you. But if it isn't, Notre Dame is committed to taking away the pass. And I think we've seen that against Purdue, and we basically dared um Mertz to throw it and he couldn't um which to me is signs of a more explosive and deadly offense that can be as stingy and uh, and even more high impact when it comes to turnovers with the offense you know you're saying there's a lot of bummers there it I, it feels like a lot of the same thing there's just there's there's one thing that needs to click for this to be the explosive offense we saw from week one throughout the year, right? I do believe that Notre Dame could be a top 10 offense this year. The problem is, with the defense, I knew those issues were fixable because Marcus Freeman is a good coach and we have elite players on defense. I don't know if the offensive issue is fixable, uh, and that, of course, being the offensive line. So if the offensive line holds, Notre Dame, I believe, can be a top 10 offense. It just it is not even coming close to that. And we haven't seen the improvement we need to see. And I think that's where I kind of want to take this discussion. How scared are you of the offensive line and who's to blame for it? I feel like it's got to be Quinn at this point, right? Because we've seen plug and placement every single year for going on seven, eight years now where we've had like top tier offensive line with, with regularity. Um, you know, just think of the guys who just graduated. They were what sophomores red, you know, they were all probably redshirted sophomores, true juniors, the 2018 year. Yep. Uh, when, when we went to the playoffs and that's pretty much what we're working with right now is all redshirted sophomores and true juniors, you know, with the exception of, you know, Tosh Baker, I think is redshirt freshman. And then, uh, obviously Blake Fisher, or the, uh, the true freshman, but you know, we, we do have guys that have been on campus for three years now. All of these guys have been extraordinarily highly recruited and, and touted. You know, we're talking nine, uh, you know, point nine four, point nine five. Like these are very high four star, if not borderline five star guys we've been cultivating and recruiting. And they just look lost out there. You know, T- Tosh Baker, I, I don't want to pick on him at all. I think he does have a future. I think he's a legitimate NFL prospect. He's just had such a tough go adjusting to this level, and it it looks like it's just footwork to me. And and I don't I know practically nothing. I I was a left guard uh, for the CLCF Chiefs in Cranston, Rhode Island, back when I was uh, in eighth grade, uh, seventh grade summer going into eighth grade. So I played one year uh, of of football at at that Pee Wee level, uh, you know, prior to high school and everything. So it's like I I know a, a minimal amount right i know practically nothing but even just being an avid football fan i can see like he's you know he gets beat outside and then the next play like he gets beat inside and and because he's trying to overcompensate and he looks like he's predictable doesn't look like he's he just always looked like looked like he was on his heels and at a certain point like why are we not just moving the right tackle over to the left tackle then we could possibly avoid that sack fumble on drew pine right like yeah we need to like, we need to just do something. Something has to be done. We have too much talent and Quinn has, has put some quality guys. Uh, but, but who, who was it prior to him? Was it Harry Hydestand that went to the Chicago bears? I mean, he was, he was a G. The best. Uh, yeah. yeah. He was incredible. And, and I damn, we're missing him. So I, Quinn, I think is good. I, I think at, I think Quinn is good at coaching established talent. I don't know if he's the guy that's going to develop it, but I don't know. Again, I, I'm, this is a propaganda pro- podcast where I am purely a absolute fanatic of the team. And I know a decent enough about football to make some really salient points. And that's what I'm seeing on my end. But I don't know. What what are your, what are you seeing? 
Well, even though we're a, a propaganda podcast, we do a surprisingly good amount of serious discussion and analysis. <laughs> you know, it's kind of it's kind of almost like a, a character cover. Like we actually do, <laughs> we actually take this somewhat seriously. Um, we just do it with a fun little twist to it. Um, what I would say is that. The offensive line is a little bit of a perfect storm right now. You have transfers, you have underclassmen, you have people not gelling. But I think the people who've been, you know, clamoring for Jeff Quinn to get fired, and there's a subsect of the fan base, I, I think I think there's a lot of merit to it. Um, I'm not going to be calling for that yet or maybe ever. I, you know, it's that's an uncomfortable thing to do. Um, but I see the point. I see the point of... Not necessarily the recruitment issue, because I think the recruitment has been pretty good overall at offensive line under Jeff Quinn. Not quite Harry Heenstand level, but not quite abysmal. It There seems to be an issue of we're four weeks in now and there's been no improvement. Um, granted, we were playing a better team, uh, one of the better front sevens in the country. But man, they, they have to get it together because college football landscape right now is there for the taking. Oh, you my know God. what I mean? Alabama struggled with Florida. And that doesn't mean Alabama is not a great team. It just means Alabama is beatable. You look at Georgia right now is the best team in the country, and their biggest win was a Clemson team who now has lost twice. Ohio State has lost. Oklahoma keeps escaping bad teams, and that's going to catch up to them eventually. Um, Cincinnati is in the top ten. We will dispose of them. Iowa's one win was Iowa State, which now looks no good. Uh, Penn State, sure, but we just played a mutual opponent. Notre Dame won by like 30 points more. Um, it's just it, the landscape right now is it looks like the most parody we've seen in the last five to 10 years, uh, going back to probably 2012, because um, that was a weird year. We had K State and Oregon. Um, so it's there for the taking. And it's just like begging can the offensive line just be okay? Like, I don't even need you to be top 25 anymore. Just be top 50. Be top 50 in the country. And this team has all the ingredients because the defense has settled in and have announced themselves. And the offense has all the weapons, right? We know Jack Cohn can throw the ball. We know we have two great running backs. We know we have an elite group of uh, receivers to include Michael Mayer. I would say if you include Michael Mayer in, in your wideout options, uh, whether he's lining up out wide or in, or in the tight ends position, that's an elite group. Um so it, we're just the offensive line short, and, uh, and and it is kind of frustrating. So, you know, going back to a positive note, because there's so much to celebrate um, from that game, I think uh, I think the Chris Tyree kickoff return was everything. It was oh what this God. program has been lacking. It was a momentum shift. Um, talk me through your perspective of kind of the game and what, what you liked about it. Yeah, Um I mean, I, I do like that it just looks like Cohen is not afraid in the slightest to take a shot, man. And, you know, he hasn't been the most accurate on deep balls, but, I mean, Kevin Austin is just proving to be that friggin' guy. And we know that, you know, that Lindsay is going to have a ton of speed. So the fact that, you know, right there off the bat, if they see that you're going to stack the box to try to stop Kyron Williams, that's what every basically every team is doing. They're saying, we're going to take your best player off the board. Okay, that's fine. You know, we have incredible guys on the outside with speed and separation and, and athleticism and, you know, that, you know, we have a QB who's six foot four. That'll just say, OK, like I can see what's coming and I'm just going to flip my friggin wrist and and, you know, help my guys make a play. Right. And, and you know, Cone's got to re- rein in the accuracy and maybe that's kind of a little bit of holdover of the. uh you know, the dislocated finger, maybe it's not, you know, maybe it's not affecting that at all. And, and maybe he's just, you know, not a, a, but I like that, the, but I like that he's going downfield. I exactly. Don't, yeah. If he's willing to, that's the one thing book didn't do, right? Book was a very conservative quarterback. He didn't throw it down too often. And if he yeah. missed, he wouldn't go back to it. I like that with Cone because you just need one of those four throws to hit. And that could be a game changer because Absolutely. you just picked up 70 yards or you've scored a touchdown or something. So yeah, I agree with you. I, I, but I, his accuracy needs to get better, and he needs to get the ball out of his hands quicker because his, he's got to understand yeah. his offensive line is, is not what helping. it is. You're going to have to help yourself, and I think part of that is on Tommy Rees to design quicker play calls. But if Cone reigns that in, um, I'm with you. I'm with you. He's uh, he. We we know what he can be. He just he needs to make those adjustments. Yeah, I, everything you just said is, could not be any more exactly correct. Um, and it's just, you 
I don't know, man. It's it's frustrating. And, and yes, it has to be Tommy Reese adjusting. You know, we need we need Jack Cohn to make more pre-snap adjustments, and that comes from uh, from the coaching staff. You need to coach this kid up to see the the blitz, see when there's a stacked box, and and know what the play call is. And you need to be able to call that off and be the field general that we know you can. You're a fifth year senior. You know, you you you're attending the University of Notre Dame. You have some sort of brain power. It's like literally a requirement. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's. We know he's smart. We know physically he, you know, he's six four. He can see what's coming his way, and I think that you know those are two advantages he has over Ian Book. And I think that that also leads to why he's willing to take those shots because he's seeing things open. And you know, Book was a little bit more conservative, but he had the escapability to make the big play. So this offensive line, I think, it, it, it begs the question: Was this offensive line always this porous, and maybe Book made them look better? Or is this uh, is this an offensive line that's maybe a little bit more tailored to that sort of style, like I've mentioned in the past? Or, or I think is it's just it a bad own? it's a bad offensive line. They just yeah. it, whatever it is, they can't get their act together. I, I think the offensive line last year was fine. Um, mm-hmm. And and to be fair to Cone, he did show some escapability this game. You know, he in the did. early part of the game, he was he was taken off. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I want I want to stay positive. I want to stay positive. We've hammered the O line. We all know what the issue is now. How about the defense to lose their most important, and important depends how you define that, but one of your most important players in Kurt Heinisch, right? A captain, I think he's like a six-year player at this point, uh, yeah. one, uh, one heck of a nose guard, shows up in the big games. To not have him play and to still dominate Wisconsin's offensive line, what, like, what do we say to that? Like, were you shocked to see the level the defense took it to? Yeah, and and uh, specifically the sack fumble. Uh, who was it? Myron that got. I I think it might actually it was it was a Jacob combination Lee's. many people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was only a four guy rush. I looked back at the highlights. That was only a four man rush, and uh, and you know obviously Foskey ends up picking up the ball, and and that's that was after the. Uh, you know the the run back from Tyree to make it seventeen to you know, what, whatever it was at that 13. point it was 17, 13. Yeah. So, um, and then we, you know, we score the, the touchdown that ultimately kind of, you know, just puts it away or, or makes the game like so much more manageable. So, so that was huge. I mean, and, and, and the defense was just so friggin' exciting. They were flying out there. Uh, you know, Cam, Hall, he, you know, coach Kelly had the speech, like, you know, you have to just put you, you, you were a little aggressive. You, tr- you know, you tried to make, get a competitive advantage. You got called for it. Okay. Put that out of your mind, make the next play. They try the same shit. Cam Hart jumps the route, makes an incredible interception. Like I, I want, I want to talk about Cam Hart for a second. I know yeah. we're going to get to him later. We need to understand the context here. This is a wide receiver convert last year who didn't three get star. to play three star kid, right? The credit on this young man and also Marcus Freeman to identify early, even though they were going after Caleb Evans, they knew that Cam Hart was going to take over for Tariq Bracey in a sense. Clarence Lewis was going to move to the field. Bracey would go basically to the slot, so he'd play every other kind of down. And Cam Hart would become your your second corner. And then after two weeks, Marcus Freeman is so impressed with him, he makes him the field corner. So Cam Hart is now the guy who is shutting down the majority of the field. And for that man to have had such a great start to the season, to have two phenomenal interceptions, like neither of those are easy picks. Um, he's been a, a revelation. And I think he he deserves due credit there. And I think Freeman deserves the credit for identifying the talent and for having the guts to put him in those positions to succeed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, damn, like... And, and and the mentality and and you know that's that's pretty much the mentality that all defensive backs have to have because inherently the the game is designed for you to just get burned and embarrassed right so like those guys have to have a a, a goldfish memory like myself and <laughs> it, yeah he he just showed resilience he just showed this, that attitude of like yo like I'm I'm gonna get mine like I'm I'm I, just because like they, these refs are fast and loose with the with the flags and, you know whether it was PI or not, like he's, he's still willing to go back and get into, and make those plays and, and get dirty and get his, his body on a body and, and jump those routes and be aggressive. And, and that mentality, uh, of, of a secondary can really, really help give confidence to a front seven of like, you know, like we, we, 
they, the guys in the back are going to make the QB think an extra second longer. Let's pin our ears back. Let's go get them. And, you know, so Grant Mertz, like, that guy was in the spin cycle at one point. That guy, he, he was, it was like Sam Donald versus the Patriots seeing ghosts. Like, he couldn't complete anything. It had to be, it was all trickeration and everything. And, and they were barely making plays happen. So, like, defense was absolutely unbelievable start to finish. I couldn't believe it. And I, I knew we had this potential all along. And I knew we were going to get there eventually because we've been trending this way for about four years now. And it just seems like it's coming to fruition. And it gives me hope. Just closing, closing, uh, you know, a little dialogue here. It just gives me hope that you see how screwed up the field of college football is right now. As you've mentioned, Alabama, th- this is the most vulnerable Alabama is going to be for the next five years. Georgia has a suspect offense. Yeah, they put up 62 points against, I don't know, like the, the school of the blind. It j- those are your two teams at the top right now. I, I think that Oregon is a little bit more of a paper tiger uh, because I think that Ohio State was a paper tiger. So, like, there, there's just, like, yeah. it's there. The there are two teams who are genuinely – yeah, there's two teams who are genuinely top four caliber right now, and the rest is open. Exactly. It's, it's whoever can get in. Like, this could be the year a power uh, – sorry, a group of five team gets in. Like, like, Ohio State has a loss. They have to run the table. And I don't and know if they Penn will. State and Michigan. They have to play Penn State, and Penn State's got to play Michigan, and Michigan's got to play both of them and Wisconsin. Like the Big Ten is in trouble already because their one true powerhouse contender is because, like, you look at Iowa, but yeah, Iowa could lose to Indiana. Like Iowa could lose to Purdue. Like it, even if Iowa, you know, takes off a top-ranked team, they could lose to an unranked team. Like there, there's a lot of susceptibility to to weaker losses mm. in the big 10 you look the acc's done we're four weeks in the acc is officially over like we thought clemson was out after week one they lost they're, to north carolina out. state in overtime they're they're out this is the first year since the first season of it that clemson will not be in the playoff um what you look down the sec right florida's got a loss and they're going to play georgia and only one of them's going to get to play alabama so you have Two teams in the SEC, LSU's out, Auburn's pretty much out. You look to the West Coast, Oregon and USC slash UCLA are still technically in it. Actually, not USC, USC lost last night. So you basically just have Oregon and potentially UCLA if UCLA runs the table. They won't. So (laughs) Oregon, like, and I believe they deserve ranking number three at the moment, but they are vulnerable. I totally expect Oregon to drop a game this year. Um, It's wide open. It's it's truly wide open. And... Mm -hmm. Notre Dame, this could this could be the year. You just you wish you had a better offensive line because the defense that we saw against Wisconsin, if that stays, if that is the defense we get for the rest of the year, nobody's moving the ball on us. Like like it would require yeah. Alabama of last year to move the ball on us. And then offensively, if you can get that O line going, you know. I think what we are right now. We are, we are used to a Notre Dame team that averages 34 to 45 points a game offensively. Yeah, obviously, we put up 41 last game, but we only scored, what, two touchdowns offensively? And yeah, then a couple of field goals? So we're, 30 is generous. Yeah, yeah, so uh, we're used to seeing you know 30 to 45 points, give or take, with the offense over the last couple of years because it was, it was building up towards that playoff caliber offense. The defense was also kind of in swing. Like sometimes the defense would be unbelievable. Sometimes they would, you know, there were there was you know room for, hey, you know, if we're going to compete at the next level, you need to lock these certain things down. You know, secondary is is kind of like the main thing that was holding us back. It looks like we've have everything figured out on the defensive side of the football, where I like this defense looks like it can hold in check in Alabama especially a Georgia. I just don't see Georgia's offense as particularly fantastic. Um, I, I think they're going to be very good, but not like off the charts. So, so like if our defense can just play this style of football offense, if we average 27 points a game, I, I like 
that's doable with this offense. That's what is driving me insane. Is like j- just try to get close to thirty points a game, and you are absolutely not. You're not a playoff contender. You are a national championship contender. I, if we average thirty points a game on offense, we are getting past the first round. That's how open college football is this year. And a playoff. Yeah, win, I, I would. I would say historic. Like in recent history, thirty points a game isn't enough, especially last year. But you are right where the field is so open at the moment that you can get by with a little bit of a weaker offense. But that we could do better. You know what I mean? You're you're asking for 30. I think we could do 40. Oh, it's just on absolutely. the O-line, right? That's the one thing holding them back. Um, and you know what would be great is if Notre Dame runs the table. Georgia and Alabama have to play each other. So, yeah, you would end up probably playing one of them in round one, right? They're probably not going to put them one and four unless – Alabama loses, and then only I mean, one if that's if that's play. a tight game, uh, uh, let's assume that they both when uh, go undefeated in the regular season, or do they play each other in regular season? No, they don't. They, they don't. Do. Okay, so it would be uh, the the SEC championship game. So let's say both are twelve and zero. Then you have let's say you have a tight game in the the SEC championship. Let's say it's twenty four twenty three. I think the media gives them one two. Oh yeah, that's what I'm. But if we're three or four, we're getting one of them. Is my yeah. is my concern. The best case scenario would be one of them picks up a loss, and the other and one knocks them out. So one is let's a, say one. So let's yeah. say you know what? Actually, let's pick Georgia. So let's say Georgia goes undefeated this season. Let's say Alabama drops a game to maybe Ole Miss, right? Let's say maybe uh, maybe they lose to Auburn, maybe lose to LSU, right? So let's say Alabama's coming into that game with one loss, and Georgia knocks them out. Well, then you have Georgia one, Notre Dame two. And then I don't care who three and four are. We're going to win that game. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because the teams that I'm scared of right now are Alabama and Georgia. I will take only Oregon. Two, I will take only Oklahoma. two that I say flat out we lose. Well, at the moment, yes. I mean, at if an offensive moment. line picks up, then we're in for a real ball game. But, yeah, at the moment, I would say we are comfortably behind those two teams. Um, but, you know, we were talking about this last week. Notre Dame historically plays down to competition and up to competition. And what we saw was Notre Dame coming up, rising to the occasion like they did against Clemson last year, and they beat the team. And look, the scoreline wasn't reflective of the game. We had like a tie game going into the fourth quarter. But Notre Dame did earn that victory. Like you look at the – so our friend CFB numbers, Jason, who's been on the show, his model showed that Notre Dame had like a 99% post-game win expectancy based on all the numbers that happened. Like Notre Dame deserved that win. Notre Dame was the better team for the four quarters. Um, and, and it was an earned victory. My concern is that Wisconsin is now one and two and they play Michigan and Wisconsin by the end of the year could not be a good win at all. And North Carolina lost again and USC lost again. And all of a sudden this murderous schedule, schedule shit. Yeah. It, it's just Cincinnati and sure Cincinnati could go 11 and one and that'd be fantastic because you'd have like a top five, top 10 ranked win. But the rest of the schedule has fallen apart, and uh, and that makes it hard because it doesn't make it any easier on us. Like we still have to go through that little, you know, race gauntlet. of all those. Yeah. We got to go through that gauntlet, and even though those teams are picking up losses, to to face them all, and they're all good teams, back to back to back to back is what's challenging. So it's almost like a little reward here for all the work you have to do because none of them are ranked going to be ranked by the end of the year. But Cincinnati is kind of the only hope now. And then hopefully Wisconsin gets their stuff together and, and, and beats Michigan. So uh, that's my concern, too, is can we drop a game? And it's starting to look like no. Like, it's starting to look like if we drop a game, we might be out of it as well just because of, of you know, USC and, and, and North Carolina. Um, yeah. Do you want to get into the, the four horsemen here? Because I'm sure we have a lot of the same overlap. And there's so many players deserving of it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um <clears throat> All right, so the four horsemen. Let me just pull up these stats here. Uh, of course, I just had it before, and the ESPN app just zeroed out on me. So, good radio right now. Well, I'll give you my four. Um, I didn't even take down any stats or anything. I just I picked the four um, based off how I kind of felt from the game. So, number one for me is Cam Hart. I just no question about it. Um, two picks. I thought he was phenomenal all game. He's been phenomenal all season. I think he really deserves it. Um, second horseman for me, Kevin Austin. What a bounce back game for him. Two touchdowns, um, which include the, um, the, the controversial one. Um, I thought he played really well. Number three for me, Jason Admiola. 
um, what a beast he's become. Uh, he just absolutely terrorized Wisconsin. Um, a really underrated player, deserving of shout and deserving of potential NFL draft uh, conversation. You know, I think he's he's that kind of player. And then number four, Chris Tyree. I mean, he didn't do anything all game except the one thing that changed the game, and uh, and that's deserving of a horseman. So those are my four. Uh, what are yours? Yeah, for sure. Um, so the first, I, I you just have to give a shout-out to a kid that steps up to the occasion. And he wasn't the starter, but he came in and he did his job, and that's the essence of the horseman is, is doing your job when called upon, and that's going to be Drew Pine. Um, you know, Tyler Buckner is, I think, clearly the future of the program. Um, you know, Pine, he showed fight, he showed grit and he showed integrity to go out there and give it his all. Right. And, and that was, that was just fantastic. You know, six of eight, not 81 yards, 10.1 yards per attempt, uh, which is really good. And, and a touchdown, which he threw to Kevin Austin. And, and that brings us into the second horseman, you know, Kevin Austin was fantastic. I mean, he, I, he, he is a absolute premier wide receiver, and he is what gives me hope that we have something with a QB looking to take shots and a big body, unbelievable receiver, elite guy on the outside, where it gives me hope that we can now challenge those top tier programs if we make a playoff, right? That's how important Kevin Austin is because we haven't had that. Yeah. Um, next up, I love J.D. Bertrand. But yeah, he's he's he would be an honorable mention here. You know, Jack Kaiser just having enough of the game. He was just like enough. I'm 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 done with this bullshit and just yeah. uh, taking that pick all the way back to the house. He also had six tackles throughout the day as well, a pass deflection as well. So like you know, Jack Kaiser was just kind of all over the field, uh, just like Adam Ayola. Uh, but yeah, it it was it was just a great performance by him. And the fourth, and this is a shout out to our other co-host who uh, also got married this week you gotta go with jay bramblett man uh he had a 72 yard bomb he had seven punts that he averaged 46.3 yards uh per punt so that's that's awesome he had a i think at least three maybe even four uh of his punts downed inside the 20 so he was pinning them back you know that 72 yarder he pinned them inside their own 10 from like behind his own 20 it was just an absolute nuke and and that helped in a game that prior to the fourth quarter was a field position battle and then yeah because it was 10 10 heading into the fourth was it not or Um, or at the very least it was like the the very late third uh by the time that that wisconsin kind of yeah because because pine gets hit from behind fumbles the ball wisconsin scores and then tyree on the return so um, it's I, that though Jay Bramblett, what a what a performance. I, I want to give an honorable mention to uh Drew White as well. I thought Drew White played really, really well. Um I, how much so just sidetrack for a second. Jonathan Dore, of course, um, our kicker, he reminds me of Kyle Brinza so much. Where inside like the 35, I don't really want him to kick a ball, but from fifty-one, Absolute he's gonna hit it every boots. time. AJ, what a what a leg on him. Um, Kyle Brinza was a lot like that too. I remember his first one of his first um, pressure kicks was against USC when he he blasted a bomb. Um, so that's our four horsemen. Uh, there were so many good players today. Uh, we played so well. Uh, an underdog victory. We called that. I made money off of it. There was no way we were six and a half dogs. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, but so before we get into kind of picks for next week in terms of the college football landscape i just want to give a shout out to our listener support function on anchor so as you guys know steve myself and p wagon we all have our own things going on and we kind of do this for fun and for you guys and uh, to keep us going to sustain us to keep the quality of of content high uh we ask that you consider making a contribution to uh to our fund so that's anchor horse like supports horsemen it's in the link of the episode wherever you get it and it's also our pin tweet so uh, you can make a contribution of basically a dollar five dollars or ten dollars uh, anything would be greatly appreciated because it, it gives us that you know flexibility to kind of keep putting out high content whether it be on on the twitter page or on the podcast so yeah let's 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 head into the weeks um steve you are leading us this year who would have thought 
Who would have thought? Um, you're hitting at 65% of your picks, P Wagon at 60, and I, I'm I'm trailing behind at 10. Uh, you got to recall, I started off 0 and 5, so I've been pretty good since. <laughs> um, this week, it's it's interesting. It's we got a lot of ranked games. We have a lot of unique matchups. So, do you want to introduce the games and uh, and we'll start with the picks? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, won't be doing lines this week. It's just uh, you know straight up. So just consider this money line picks. Um, and so we start in the Big Twelve. Uh, it is Texas at TCU. So it's this is an interesting one. You have two teams with one loss in the Big Twelve um, that still have hopes for winning the Big Twelve, right? Because uh, the Big Twelve's not out of it yet, um, and neither of those teams are out of it. I'm going to take Texas as much as I usually go against Texas. I think um, they played really well this week, and TCU has shown signs of struggle all year. So I'm going to take the Longhorns. Um, what about yourself? Yeah, I am also going with Texas. I think Bijan Robinson is the real deal. Uh, Texas's defense played, you know, pretty good against Tech, and then you know Tech put up some, you know some later points against them after the game was pretty much out of reach. So uh, Texas looks to be kind of the real deal. I think they'll probably going end up going 10-2, and two, uh, just a preliminary guess. Uh, but they look I, – I wouldn't call them back. They are not Texas yet, uh, but I, I think they are on the path. They, they are definitely on a rebuild, and, and I, would, I, I think they're absolutely going to win this game probably by two touchdowns. Fair enough. Um, yeah, next we got an SEC game, don't we? We do indeed. And also, uh, P-Wagon chose TCU. Up next, we have the new kids on the block. They haven't been relevant in quite some time since the Darren McFadden days. Maybe even Ryan Mallett, but whatever. Um, it's Arkansas, Razorbacks, traveling between the hedges down in Athens, Georgia, against the Bulldogs. That vaunted defense. Who do you got? Well, first of all, we got to give kudos to Arkansas here. They beat Texas, they then beat Texas A&M, and now they're playing Georgia. That is a hellish schedule, um, especially for a team in the SEC that's not really a powerhouse. Um, I think I've picked against them every time. I really <laughs> like them. I really admire them. But this Georgia team, as, until I see any signs of faltering, I'm going to assume Georgia blows out everybody they play. So I'm taking the Bulldogs. Yep, I'm going to ride with you. Uh, I, I just... I don't see any team putting up more than 21 points against Georgia. I that's it just even 17 seems like an impossibility and I just think that their offense not that they're particularly great, but their defense is just going to give them good field position. They're going to have enough opportunities to just score some dinks and dunks and and maybe maybe Georgia wins this game like 24-10 as an example, but I I just definitely see them as as far superior. Uh, P wagon fades us both. He doesn't see it that way. He's going with the Arkansas Razorbacks for the road upset. Now that's going to bring us to the next game. It is in the big 10. It is an absolute shit program filled with bigots and idiots that don't know their history or anything about college football. They are insufferable. They are losers and they have ugly helmets and they are facing the team that we just beat, which is the Wisconsin Badgers up in Madison who do you have, the shitheads or the Badgers? Okay, I'll say this. To be fair to Michigan fans, the bigotry was a long time ago, and in recent history, we haven't really seen that, maybe with the exception of a few fans. No, so, no, nope, um, nope. with, the, with the platform of El Prez, Dave Portnoy from Barstool, calling us out on his platform saying, oh, Notre Dame, join a conference. It's like, hey, buddy, maybe you might want to know why we didn't join a conference. Like, have a little bit of, you know, self-awareness in that regard. So sorry to cut you off there. I just wanted to, I'm doubling down. Screw them. No, I, we all hate Michigan and uh and I think Michigan doesn't understand the history. So they, I think they just hate us because they're jealous that we have been way bigger than them since like the yeah. 40s. But like we hate them for reasons we know uh, and reasons we feel justified in. Um, I would have picked Michigan. And the key word there is would have. Until I watched them play Rutgers. And once again, the big Rutgers-Michigan rivalry um, <laughs> ends in a tight game. Uh, Rutgers arguably kind of should have went put that in overtime and they kind of got a little unlucky. 
Uh, yeah, it was like 27-20. It was, it, was it was a one-score game that Rutgers could have done a lot better in. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact that Michigan had started off so well against really bad competition and then played that way against Rutgers, I'm going Wisconsin. Now, part of that is hopeful thinking, but also Wisconsin's at home. Wisconsin is still a very good football team, and I don't think Michigan is as good as Penn State, and arguably Wisconsin is kind of better than Penn State. Uh, I think in 10 games, Wisconsin beats them like seven times. Um, so I'm taking the Badgers. I think I think they're going to get it done, and I think Michigan is going to be deflated um, once again kind of before October or early I, October. I do agree with you here. I am going to roll with the Badgers. Um not because I'm particularly impressed with them. I just, if Graham Mertz had all of his struggles against Notre Dame defense, like Notre Dame is a top 10, arguably top five defense. I just don't see that Michigan's going to be on that level. So, you know, he's going to be able to have a a lot more efficient game passing the ball. And I think that that's going to open up the run for Wisconsin, which obviously is what they want to do. So I think at home, the Badgers are in fact, going to uh, to win this game. And P-Wagon's response to which team do you think is going to win between Michigan and Wisconsin was, quote, unquote, nope. So do with that information what you will. He then said he pleads the fifth. So we're going to take that as Michigan, but um, he can't bring himself to say it. Steve, how am I supposed to catch up with you if you're picking the same teams as me? This is, I, I call <laughs> I call some kind of foul play here. Okay, well, I think we might diverge on the uh, the next game. We are headed back to the Big 12, that absolute shit conference. And it is the uh, looking like potentially overrated Oklahoma Sooners on the road at Kansas State. Kansas State is ranked, I'm pretty sure, at this point. They've, uh, no, they, they, they were, and then they lost to Oklahoma State. Uh, um, yeah. I, I actually don't think we're going to diverge here. I'm taking Kansas State outright. Okay. That is a home underdog. Oklahoma has had this coming for them for a few weeks. I'm taking the Wildcats. I'm with you again, and, and this was not intentional. I, I just uh, Oklahoma doesn't seem like it's kind of got the grit and, and you know that the program needs. So I, I think that there's going to be a little bit of Wildcat juice at home. Uh, P Wagon agrees with both of us. He's also taking KSU, uh, and then we are going to move on to uh, the only conference right now that's worthwhile, and that is the SEC. It is the probably the marquee matchup right now, especially when you're talking Heisman impl- implications of uh, two QBs, Bryce Young and uh, and and with Ole Miss, you have what's it, Matt Corral, Coral, Carroll, yes. Corral, yeah, something. Golden he's a, he's Corral. a good quarterback. Okay, sounds good. So yeah, <laughs> Ole Miss Rebels on the road to Brian Denny uh, down in Tuscaloosa. Who do you have here? So I actually left this one open to make a decision at the very moment you asked me. And what I've come to is that Ole Miss would have won this game if it was at home. But it isn't. It's in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, once again getting a lucky scheduling break or something goes their way. I don't think Ole Miss can overcome the machine on the road. I'm taking Alabama, but I do have a lot of hope in Matt Coral. Okay. Uh, what is the most efficient play to run on offense? Play action pass. But a pass is the answer. But a pass. Correct. But yeah, yeah. yeah, sorry. I just okay. I, I was so doubling pass down there. More efficient. Yeah. Uh, what did Alabama lose in the first round of last year's NFL draft? Two really good wide receivers. And also a premier cornerback. Yeah. And and of course the quarterback as well, Mac Jones. <laughs> yep. Um, so that is why I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna lock out a step here or whatever whatever the saying goes. I'm I'm gonna break off from you here. Um, this is more so kind of just like wishful thinking and trying to talk it into existence and manifest it. But I'm riding with the Rebels. Uh, Ole Miss to go into Brian Demney, pull up the upset, and it's because they are a pass-first team with an excellent quarterback. Uh, that is. You know, th- their strength is playing into the most efficient part of the game against a Alabama defense that hopefully proves to be not as good as years past. So hopefully the Rebels will win, and P-Wagon does agree with me on that one. Interesting. 
So we've got uh, two major upsets, according to you. I just checked it out, and college game day is going to Athens for the Arkansas game. I I mean, I think Notre Dame-Cincinnati is more appealing. I think, actually, Ole Miss-Alabama probably should have been the choice. I think maybe college football, college game day is trying to uh, pace out how many times they see the same team. Um, we put out a poll today asking you guys if you feel like this team now, after a big win, is playoff caliber or can be playoff caliber and we got 50 50 responses um and a lot of people i think would say yes if the offensive line was better um i think we could win out with this offensive line and still make the playoff but i voted yes i think we are i think we can be playoff caliber because i'm being optimistic that by the end of the season the offensive line will be better steve how would you answer that question uh of playoff caliber I've definitely talked myself into thinking this is a playoff caliber team. I think this is a playoff caliber team, even at 11 and one, uh, just because of the, of the, the landscape of things, as we mentioned, I, I don't, th- the Notre Dame, there, there are only going to be a maximum of three undefeated teams heading into the CFP. In my opinion. Uh, now, obviously, cause I think that Oklahoma is going to lose is basically what I'm getting at. So that would effectively put the Big 12 at a disadvantage. Uh, I think, let's say Oregon wins out. Let's say either Georgia or Bama win out. And let's say that, you know, both Georgia and Bama get in. I just think that Notre Dame is the only other team right now in college football that has the potential to go 12-0. And does that mean that we're going to be successful in any sort of endeavor in in the playoff if it's against Bama or Georgia, that's like we need to see what the team is at at that point in time. I think defensively we can compete in the game. I just I think offensively we only put up about ten to thirteen points against either of those teams right now. I think it would look very similar to last year's playoff, frankly, and that hurts me to say. Right now, right now, we are in. We just passed week four. We got a long way to go. If the offensive line can start getting into some some sort of respectable rhythm i think we can push those 13 points up to maybe 21 to 24 points and i think 21 to 24 points in a playoff game against bama or georgia gives us the potential to win a football game against them it gives us the potential to become national champions Right, so that that's the the missing link right now the if the offensive line builds up to what i think they can be then I don't think that I already think that we are our playoff caliber as it stands. I'm talking about winning the first game and, and winning the second game or competing in the second game. Right. And that's that for me is the, the line of delineation. How many teams right now would we say, not the the the, the Vegas odds makers, but us, Notre Dame would be underdogs in in a in a, a neutral site game? Because neutral I site. count because like I'm looking at the top ten, right? I'd say Alabama, yes, Georgia, yes. Oregon, no. Like, I'm I'm sorry. We beat Oregon. Iowa, we destroy Iowa. I'm pretty sure we beat Penn State by two touchdowns. Ohio State, maybe. That's one where I'm... That would be, a, I think, a pick em almost. Just because Ohio State hasn't looked so good, but we know how talented they are. Oklahoma, I think the odds makers would make us an underdog, but I don't think I would. I, I, would, I would take Oklahoma this week, and I'd pick the Irish to win. Like, if we were playing them next week... I'm thinking Notre Dame. Yeah. So I'm think I'm looking around college football and I'm like, there's only really two teams that that scare me and that I think are better than Notre Dame today, um, and that's with the offensive line being putrid. So, yeah, I think this is a playoff caliber team because I think the the quality of football has decreased everywhere, and that's good. That's good for it's the parity in the league is at its best in a while. So I do think we're caliber. Um, I don't know if we're as good as we were last year. And I think we can be even better if we had the offensive line. But all this playoff talk is not for all if we don't take care of business at hand. This week, for some reason, it's a 2.30 kickoff, not even a usual 3.30 at Notre Dame, and not even the primetime slot. But we got a ranked matchup. Uh, Cincinnati, I believe, ranked 7th or 8th in the AP, and we're ranked 9th or 10th. Coming to Notre Dame Stadium, it's the Marcus Freeman Bowl. It's a huge game, but it is at home. And that's the one benefit of this schedule is these tough games are at Notre Dame Stadium. 
I just want to give a quick, brief, you know, rundown of what Cincinnati has done this year. So they, they're they 3-0, and and if you're not too familiar, those three games were Miami of Ohio, they won 49-14, Mercer, they won 42-7, and the only real team they've played was at Indiana, they won 38-24, and they had to make a ferocious second-half comeback to do so. Um, very gutsy performance. Uh, but so, you know, keep that in mind when you look at their stats, right? They're giving up only 15 points per game, uh, but they haven't played really anybody. They're only giving up 300, you know, 298 yards a game, haven't really played anyone. The offense looks fantastic. They're averaging 420 yards a game. They're scoring 43 points a game. But again, Indiana's the only real team they've played. Um, and likewise, you know, we've only played uh, really Purdue and Wisconsin. Um, you know, Florida State's 0-4 and Toledo to be determined. So you have a lot of uncertainties in this game, but what we know about Cincinnati seems to be kind of confirmed in those numbers is that they are a, an elite defense. Uh, that they were like that under Marcus Freeman. They have a phenomenal front seven. They got uh, Gardner over there, corner, who's fantastic. They are going to be a tough team to play. Offensively, I'm a little more uh, I'm skeptical of their offense, but this is a very solid football team. They just haven't had the chance to play anybody of real note. Um, the Indiana game's worth the, obviously, considerations. But Notre Dame's a different animal. This is going to be one of the biggest games they've played in their program's history, um, with the exception of, you know, a, B, uh, a BCS bowl game. Uh, not not the title, but... Um, Brian Kelly led them to. Brian Kelly led them to and then left for the game. Um, <laughs> so there's a little bit of that, too. It's also the Brian Kelly Bowl. So Cincinnati's quarterback's name is Desmond Riddler, Rit, Ritter. He's having a good season. He's 67.9 QBR, which is 44th in the country. To compare that with Jack Cohn, he's 56.4 in the country, which is 70th. But as we said on Twitter, his pure passing numbers, expected points added, which is the fundamental base of EPA, uh, sorry, of QBR, is 17th in the country. So Jack Cohn is the 17th best passer in the country after four weeks then you may ask yourself, well, how is he 70th in total QBR? Because Jack Cohn is dead last in sacks expected points added, meaning negative expected points added because of the offensive line. So Jack Cohn's QBR is being deflated by the sacks, whereas as a passer, he's one of the top 20 in the country. So that's kind of the preview from a numbers perspective. Steve, how do you feel about the football game? Uh, worth noting that Cincinnati, and I'm, I'm not sure if you, uh, you mentioned this, uh, remember I am an idiot. Uh, Cincinnati is coming off of a bye week into this. And that's how, what the case of, I believe five of the next six weeks, we have teams coming off bye weeks against us because they're cheap. It, son of uh, a how much, how much good did it do Wisconsin? Not enough, apparently by about what? 35 points or something like that. <laughs> so, <By> a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so Desmond Ritter flat out has never played a defense like this. Uh, or did, did did they not play Georgia they, in the they played Georgia game last yeah. year? Okay. And they, they put and up a really good fight, but to they, be fair, Georgia wasn't really great that year either. Georgia had a down year. Yeah, for sure. So so this is going to be probably the second hardest test, or or arguably the hardest test that Ritter has ever had. You know, because that bowl game is played in a COVID year uh, on neutral turf. Now he's going into a packed Notre Dame stadium against. Oh, by the way. His old defensive coordinator, uh, <laughs> who's who's seen him, you know, grow up and play effectively. So, I, I just it it seems to me that we have too many advantages going into this, with Brian Kelly being the old coach there. And yes, it was a decade ago, but he probably still has a, a great fundamental understanding of how the program is run. You have Marcus Freeman, who knows pretty much everything inside now because he was there no less than like seven months ago. You have, or 10 months, whatever it is at this point, you have a Notre Dame defense that is coming alive right at the right time, and you have an offense which has had four opportunities now to really understand what are we, what's our identity, and what can we do to improve ourselves on a week-to-week basis. And and shout out to Tommy Reese. He's he's not flawless in, in his play calling, but you saw how Notre Dame – was very quick to just say, you know what? You're stacking the box. Screw it. We're not establishing the run. They only ran, what, Kyron nine times for 33 yards or something like that? That's what you got to do to beat Wisconsin. We said that. 
point, yeah. Many times. At a certain point, Tommy just said, screw it. I'll go 65%, 70% of the time. I'll just pass the ball and I'll back you guys off. And we have the six foot four QB who can get this ball downfield. And we have the receivers that can go up and get it. So shout out to Tommy for making those adjustments. And if we need to become a pass first offense going forward, I think that's going to still be very beneficial to us uh, and even beneficial to Kyron and, and Tyree. So I, it just feels like we have too many advantages for us to be a two point, two and a half point underdog at home. That's, that's bananas. So, that's, so that's, what I, that's what I wanted to bring up too, right? The early lines have us about a two, two and a half point underdog. Depending on the bookie, you can get Notre Dame as the favorite. You usually spot Notre Dame, the home team three. So what that means is they're saying Cincinnati is effectively a five to five and a half point better team than Notre Dame. That's asinine. Like that's, that's ridiculous. That's, that's the Wisconsin line. And I probably say Wisconsin's a better team. Oh, 100%. Uh, here's the thing. Notre Dame is a public team, which means a lot of fans will bet on Notre Dame because they're fans of Notre Dame. Um, so I expect this to get bet to probably a pick them come Saturday, maybe even a Notre Dame lean. Um, I think that line is crazy. I think it's disrespectful to Notre Dame. Like you said, Notre Dame has so many advantages coming into this game. Uh, home field being one of them. Remember, folks, we have not lost a home game till a 20-19 to 19 loss at Notre Dame to Georgia, who went on to play in the national championship game. Notre Dame does not lose at home. Uh, I, I think I agree with you all the way. The big X factor is, is Jack Cohn going to play? We know his, his uh, x-rays were negative. But that doesn't mean he'll be healthy to play this week. So you gotta you gotta keep an eye on that. Is it gonna be pine or is it yeah, going it's to be, be soft cone? Tissue. I was always of the opinion that Buckner would be the go-to if Cone got hurt. It seems like it might actually be Pine. He did play well. Credit to him. We haven't given him enough credit on this podcast uh, as a whole. He played well. Um but also is pretty good. Buckner is dealing with a hamstring. He is dealing with a hamstring, yeah. Uh, so is Buckner going to be okay? Even if even if he's not the backup, can he be? Can we use his packages, right? Can we throw the Cincinnati D off? There's a lot of question marks there. But going back to Drew Pine, great footwork, quick release, like noticeably fast the way the ball gets out of his hand, and it's very accurate. So Drew Pine was fantastic, and I feel comfortable if he's the quarterback in this game. I don't think quarterback's actually going to make a difference in this game because both Crazy of them are very thing, capable. But I think you are correct. So there's a lot to consider this is a good Cincinnati team don't get me wrong but Notre Dame's got way too many advantages like Steve said and I wish this would be a primetime game to boost up the fans because 230 scares the hell out of me um but yeah that's just that's kind of where we're at with it um do you do you have any other things you want to talk about before we get into our score predictions uh yeah and I I I think everything you mentioned is is correct right like it's been Notre Dame is what over thirty something straight home wins uh, against non ranked opponents. You know we've been dominant, uh, and then you, you you bring in ranked opponents, and we still have a winning record. Um, we also I don't know if everyone remembers or not, but there was a pretty big game last year at home against a pretty pretty damn good program that we won at that point, right? <laughs> so so I I think that Brian Kelly is now shaken off the uh, the big game you know, narrative, uh, yeah, he, he did very much so speak on, uh, on his becoming the winningest coach of all time. Congratulations, by the way, coach. Um, yeah, he, he did speak on that and said, you know, people are just going to see, see me as the guy who won a lot of games, but not the big one. And, and so that that's for him to be focusing on winning big games, winning the big one, the national championship, you don't get there with, without, without a, a convincing win against Cincinnati. Uh, and a convincing win could be by four points, right? Like it, it just, we just have to prove that we control this game in all aspects. And I think on the defensive side of the ball, we are going to control this game. It's whether or not the offense can take control. Can that the offensive line get that downhill push? Can Tommy call the running plays in the appropriate manner when it's only five man boxes open up the opportunity for Kyren to run this ball. And even if you're, if you can't run the ball, a screen pass, it, it does jet just sweep. wonders. Yep. Jet sweeps, use Lindsay, use Tyree. We obviously see, saw Tyree's game breaking speed. That kid can absolutely fly. That's why I've been so high on him for years now. I, I think that we do have the opportunity to win this game in on both sides of the ball. I know for a fact, we're going to win this game on the defensive side of the ball. So it's just, you know, this Cincinnati defense is also no joke. Can can we put up enough to separate ourselves? 
because I, I think if we have any sort of lead heading into the fi- into the final quarter, it that's it. That's nails in the coffin. Uh, it's just a matter of getting yeah. to that point. And, th- and that means you have to have a killer instinct early on in the game. We have not seen that so far. So what do you think? Or a killer instinct from the offense. That's the issue. The offense yes. has lacked a killer instinct. The defense has bailed them out. Look, there's no surprise that if you've been following the last five minutes, I'm picking Notre Dame. Notre Dame's going to win this football game. What I think is interesting is I have, and we'll get to this prediction in a second, Steve, um, but I think this game's going to be closer in terms of score, but it will be a more convincing win than Wisconsin. Wisconsin was a close game that turned into a blowout because of pick sixes. I think the score will stay closer, but I think Notre Dame will actually beat Cincinnati more convincingly than they beat Wisconsin. I agree. Um, last week, we did not get close to the same numbers, but that's because you weren't here. You had to send it in via message. I think maybe our special connection is when we're on Skype together. So... Give me your score prediction. I've got mine written down. Is it is this magical again? We'll we'll see. I'm nervous. I'm nervous, man. We've been doing this has been a little bit too scary accurately recently. But I am going with the Notre Dame Fighting Irish to score 31 points in a victory where the opposition, the Cincinnati Bearcats, scored 20 points. 31-20 Notre Dame. I see Dylan is already freaking out. That means I came close. What's the verdict, buddy? You hit my offensive number dead on. I have the Irish scoring 31. We are a little different. I'm a little more optimistic, I think, defensively. I have Notre Dame winning 31-10. to So we are a little different on the score, but we hit the same offensive number. So where I'm coming from with it is... Yes, we're going to struggle, but I, I think there is going to be improvement, whether that be getting the ball out quicker or whether that be the offensive line improving. I think we'll have a little more offensive success this game, um, regardless of the quarterback. And then defensively, I'm expecting the same kind of performance, just just really, really tight. Yeah, yeah, it just makes a lot of sense. And, and what I will say, and obviously the run game has to, <clears throat> excuse me, get up to kind of what we uh, what we'd expect from them, and that all kind of starts with the line. but. We have had plenty of complaints about the offense, but we're scoring like 35 points or more every game. And, you know, last game was the exception. A lot of that was defensive and special teams. But, I mean, come on. Like, yeah. we we have a team that can put up 24 to, to 35 points pretty easily on offense, even when we, everyone is clamoring that this is the worst offensive performance that they've seen. So try to keep that in perspective. But, yeah, I, I think that we're just going to be able to move it just enough, and I think the defense is going to win us some p- field position battles to just make this an easier game for us. So, so I think yeah. that's kind of the delineating factor here. So I just have a question, speaking of offense. How many times this season, and again, we've played only four games, have we seen a 30-plus yard throw to one of the boundaries score for a touchdown to either Austin or Lindsey? Like four, five, six times? Right. Like we, despite the offensive struggles, Notre Dame has really executed the 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 long ball to the end zone. Right. Kevin Austin has scored a few touchdowns this year on long routes. He's had so, what, three. Then the, uh, Joe Wilkins had one. I think Lindsay had one or he, well, he definitely dropped one. But yeah, you know, the point is, is that we can air it out even with the struggles. We can air it out. And if you're ever going to give us one-on-one, you bet Jack Cohen's going to throw it long. I mean, during the game yesterday, I had a buddy over. I noticed the two safeties crept in, and then there was a play-action pass. Neither safety went back, so you had corners man-on-man with the receivers. And I started screaming at the TV, go long, go long. You have them. Like, it's one-on-one. You have somebody. And he overthrew Lindsey, but the point was that play is there. And if Cincinnati is going to stuff the box and not pan out downfield, there's going to be room underneath for Mayer. There's going to be room in the seam for Mayer. There's going to be room for Davis anywhere in the slot. And you'll have both receivers one-on-one, or at least maybe with just one safety. Um, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity for this offense, even against a good defense like Cincinnati. So, you know, that's it for me. 31-10. You've got this one, 31-20. Let us mm-hmm. know at home what you guys think the score will be leave us a five-star review and a nice comment uh we do have two new married people so this podcast has changed we are uh, a family-oriented podcast i can't even see a straight face um yeah it's gonna be a big week a uh, big week for the irish 
uh, coming off a huge, huge win. Steve, do you have any kind of last thoughts before we peace out? You can't go 5-0 and without beating the shit out of the Cincinnati Bearcats. I don't know. You put me on the spot there. I'm pretty rattled. But none, nonetheless, Notre Dame is going to win this game. Have some faith. Have some faith that Kelly is going to get his coordinators, his staff, his team, his players to be motivated to play up to their competition. Um, if you do gamble, hammer the Notre Dame money line as much as you possibly can. It's But gamble responsibly. But but responsibly, but gamble your entire life savings on it. Um, and yeah. But, but but for legal liability, don't do that. Okay, just got to protect yourselves. Gamble, <laughs> gamble your entire life savings responsibly. Is that allowed? <laughs> no, not really, but the point is taken. Just be, be um, smart about it, but uh, you know, thro- throw in what you can afford to lose, but uh, I, I don't see that as a losing bet because we are going to win this game because we are the fighting Irish of Notre Dame. I, I have something funny to tell you. Had Wisconsin beat us in a tight game, I would have come on this show and said... Well, good teams win, but great teams cover. And Notre Dame would have covered, you know, let's say they lose by three. Yeah. Um, it, that that saying doesn't apply, obviously, when you're the underdog. But I think the mentality here of beat Cincinnati by more than a touchdown to show you are a great team. And that's what both Steve and I have for this game. Maybe we're being a little optimistic, but I think the Notre Dame defense is coming along and I don't think Cincinnati is quite what people think they are. So that's it from us at the Four Horsemen Podcast. We look forward to having you next week. And in the meantime, go Irish. Go Irish.